All right, welcome back. Another week, uh, PowerMizzou.com podcast here. Again, still recording this from home, so I have no fancy intro music or anything like that. It's just me, Gabe DeArmond. And on the other end of the line this week, uh, familiar name to a lot of you guys, and uh, got to say, Dr. Pat Ivey on the uh, podcast. Uh, Pat, appreciate it, man. Uh, joining from, uh, they won't be able to see it, but a home gym that is probably a little better equipped than a lot of ours down in Louisville. Huh? Well, it, it might be, uh, might be okay. It's all right. I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, thanks for having me, Gabe. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. I've known you and, and uh, Mr. Mike DeArmond for a long time. So you all yeah. Yeah, he. Uh, I guess he was. He was covering you way back. Uh, I. I don't want to say way back. I don't want to date you, but you played a couple of years ago. So yeah, a couple of years, decades. It's all the same. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so I, look, I've been been wanting to talk to Pat because there's really there's only two things going on in the country over the last probably three and a half months that that we've all talked about, and they're obviously impacting college athletics. And you are kind of uniquely qualified to talk about both of them, whether that's, uh, you know, fortunate, unfortunate, whatever, like we were, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but I, I want to start with, you are now at Louisville and, and involved obviously with the uh, athletic performance and, and all that uh, on campus and across the country, everybody is attempting to get college athletes back on campuses and working out. So we'll start kind of broad and maybe get a little more specific, but what are the challenges uh, of what athletic departments across the country are trying to do here right now? Well, we've, we're doing something we have never seen before. Uh, you know, obviously in the middle of this pandemic, uh, trying to bring our athletes back to campus, we're getting reports back of uh, positive tests all across the nation right now. So my position here as an associate athletics director, is also an assistant VP position um, on campus. But my, I oversee all of sports medicine, so for all of athletes, all sports teams here, um, sports medicine, sports performance, sports nutrition, sports science, mental health, mental performance. I work with all the orthos and um, physicians and, and working with the dining hall. And my role is to help us to bring the best care um, through great communication and, and foster great collaboration between all of those areas. And uh, before the pandemic ever hit, we were just working on all of our different policies, procedures, and protocols, whether it's related to ADHD medicines or um, just signing different waivers for working out or whatever it may be revolving around player health and safety. So that's my title is Associate AD for Student Athlete Health and Performance. And so I oversee that safety and wellness for all of our athletes. And um, this has been a big, big challenge. Yeah. Um, what has specifically in your role, what's kind of your part in, I, I mean, obviously when you were at Missouri, you would have been in charge of the actual workouts, but now at Louisville in your role, what's, what's kind of your role day to day right now? Well, we had grown strength and conditioning there to become athletic performance. So I was overseeing the uh, nutrition departments. We started the nutrition departments while I was there and then we created a corrective biomechanics department where we, we had physical therapists uh, coming over from campus and helping us out with our athletes. And um, somewhere in there, we were doing the sports science. So that was, that was underneath athletic performance. We were doing all the technology and the catapult GPS stuff. And 
Um, eventually, once uh, Rick, Coach Rick McGuire, Dr. Rick McGuire, became the director of sports psych, we started a sports psychology department where we were integrating sports psychology services and, and running them through every department, but specifically the the um, strength and conditioning and weight room, athletic performance. And that's when I went back and got um, my doctorate in, in sports psych there at Mizzou. Um, so we were already doing this, this kind of model, um, so to speak, there at Missouri. So I, I had that experience. And when I went down to Arkansas State, uh, I was doing the mental performance and strength and conditioning. Uh, so it's, it, I, I'm uniquely uh, a position to, to do what I'm doing now. And, and some, in, in between those two jobs, I was at Mizzou helping out in, uh, in the chancellor's office as an assistant vice chancellor. Uh, doing access and leadership development in the Office of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, helping out with community engagement, legislative relations, and K through 12 pipelining and programming. Um, so I did that for a year and a half too. So I find myself uh, kind of pulling on those experiences right now. Mm -hmm. And how much, obviously, uh, I mean, you know plenty about those fields. You've got a doctorate, but you know, you're not an immunologist. How, how much are you guys all relying on the medical people to tell you, here's how you've got to do things through this? Wow. So you have to be paying attention to the federal and state and local guidelines. There's NCAA and then conference guidelines. Then uh, there is a university. Sorry about that. There is a university. Um, health department that we have to uh, be what we have to be lockstep with and then I working with all of our medical doctors and we have a unique situation where we have a partner with a private um, hospital and we're working with our own UofL physicians so getting all of those people to work together and then synthesizing all of that information is is a big task but it requires a team approach and um you know this, this is where leadership comes in you you know that leadership on the field that that we develop as former athletes as is is supplied right now you have to get everybody on the same page and and make sure everyone's contributing and delegating and and um collecting all of the the valid information looking at the science the research it's 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 quite a task but you know you can't do it without the right people around you working together yeah um, I know Missouri brought their, their athletes back starting, I think, around June 5th. I know everywhere is a little bit different. Uh, are, are all your kids now back at Louisville? When, did, when could they hit campus? No, we, we did a phased approach. So we are actually in phase two right now. We uh, came up with a four-phased approach, which evolved, and we had to come up with a two-plus and then a three-plus. Uh, so we're in the middle of phase two. And phase one, we brought back 30 football players 15, men's and women's basketball players 15, swimmers. That went really well. And uh, so now we're in the second week, uh, the first week of phase two. And um, we'll get those athletes working out. We'll open up the Olympic sports weight room next week. Um, right now we have the football weight room and the, the uh, basketball weight room going. So it's, it's, uh, it's quite a task because you have to think about how you're feeding athletes. You have to think about where they're staying. You have, we have 80 plus international student athletes here at Louisville. So we have to look at all of the different countries and what embassy regulations are 
exist between our country and their country and um, just trying to get them back and doing a quarantine period uh, for international students. So it's, it's quite a task, um, but so far so good. Um, our athletes are, are paying attention. They've been listening. Um, they're wearing their mask. We have to do the physical distancing, staying six feet apart. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's quite a task. Uh, I know most schools, I think, are, are testing everyone, at least when they get back. What's, what's your guys' approach been on that? Um, right now, we, we're doing two tests. So on day one, well, when they report back, the, the, the next day we do uh, testing, and then we get the results back. Then on day four, we're doing physicals, get the results back from that, and then they start up that following Monday. And then on that following Monday, we do test number two. And still we're, so even that process is still evolving where we're trying to decide if we're going to do, if we're going to test our test. So it's, the, it's so that's kind of where we are, but, but we believe that, that um, the more we test the, the better situation we set up um, yeah. regarding safety for our student athletes and our staff and coaches. I mean, ultimately, what this is all leading to, the question on everybody's mind across the country is, man, we got to be able to play football. And you know as well as I do, there has to be a football season for you to have a job, for me to have a job, for these athletic departments, frankly, to stay open. If there's no football season, most of that doesn't happen. So I, I, I guess, and you may not know any more about this than I do, but I keep wondering, so what's the plan? Like Texas just said this morning, 13 kids tested positive. Okay, it's June. What happens if 13 kids test positive in September? Like, I, what's your confidence level we can have football? I'm confident we can have football, but some changes and evolutions are going to have to happen between now and then. Yeah. Um, so we'll see where we are as far as a vaccine. Uh, we will see where we are in terms of being able to do contact tracing. Um, we'll see if we can improve the validity of the testing that we're doing. And um, maybe we will find that we're relaxing some of the restrictions we have uh, right now in, in terms of uh, what we're doing with someone who tests positive. Will we treat it more like someone who has the flu, um, where you stay home and uh, where we know the, the flu is contagious, uh, but will we classify this as something we're more familiar with remains to be seen. So I'm hopeful. Um, I know how important it is to our economy and, and to, to our school system, our higher education system, uh, to our jobs. <laughs> I know how important it is. Uh, so I'm hopeful. Yeah. You, have you found most of the kids you're dealing with? I mean, we talked, uh, we talked yesterday to Eli Drinkwitz here and, and to Larry Roundtree. And my big question for both of those guys was, all right, for the three hours these kids are in the facility, you can control what they do. You can keep them six feet apart. You can tell them to wear a mask, all that. For the other 21 hours a day, man, they're 18 to 22-year-old kids, and all you can kind of do is hope they're doing what you tell them to. You know, so are coaches and our guys in, in your positions worried about those other 21 hours a day? Yes, we are. Um, but I think when you have someone with the personality of Coach Eli um, there at Mizzou, I think his players will listen to him and, and trust what he's saying, uh, just like our players here with Coach Satterfield and, um, you know, 
that it, it comes down to that relationship and do they trust you and will they listen? Um, and, and will, or are they more defiant? You know, do they think they know more than, than they really do? Um, you have to have the trust of your athletes, what they're doing those other 20 hours, regardless if it's the pandemic or not. Um, you have to educate them. You, hopefully you recruit the right sort of character into the program. You're developing that character and you're educating them as people. Uh, I think that's important. You can't just treat them like athletes or just like football players or just like basketball players only. You have to treat them like people, educate them like people, and they will make the responsible decisions and choices that you want um, people to make. You've uh, you've spent the better part of I guess probably three decades around around football programs, whether it's college or pro. Now, Scott Satterfield's in his second year there. Eli Drinkwitz in his first year here. Everything that's happened the last three months. How much harder have these guys' jobs gotten to go out and win football games? Which I I think it's maybe a little less important this year. Like the goal is to play, but eventually we're going to reach a point again where people are going to go, yeah, six and six isn't good enough or whatever, you know, that's still going to be the ultimate goal. You know, it's, it's like a, there's a, a health and performance continuum and our coaches, no matter where they are, they're thinking about performance 24 hours, seven days a week. They're thinking about performance. So here we are at this point in time where we're saying, Hey, performance is going to take the back seat to health. We're going to think about medical and health uh, first and that's hard for some coaches to, to process because all of their careers, all of their lives, they've thought about what does it take to win and be a champion. And right now we have to focus more on what does it take to be safe? What, what does it take to, um, to make sure that our health, physical health and mental health um, remain the priority? And it's, it's not easy. We, we have, I'm sure coaches everywhere have to be reminded by people in certain positions like mine that coach would – we're going to do the right thing. We're going to get to playing games, but we need to uh, just pause for a moment and just um, take, just relax for a second, take a breath, and just see the bigger picture. I, I know one thing, just having known you the last 15, 20 years, that, that is huge, and you mentioned it a couple times, it's not just the physical health, but it's the mental health of these kids, and not just college athletes, but, man, we're talking about this pandemic the last three months. I mean – Mental health is is kind of a thing that I'm not sure it's been talked about enough. Uh, you know, just it, what's kind of the impact three months in, in your house, basically, man? I mean, how, how important is that for everybody to be focused on, athletes or not? I, I think our younger people are more adaptable than we are. I think the older we get, the more set in our ways we are, the more um, we're used to uh, – wanting to be comfortable and, and sticking to what the status quo is. I think our young people are saying, okay, pandemic, okay, adapt and adjust and overcome. Um, I think they're really resilient. I don't know if we give them enough credit, even though they don't have quite the experience that, uh, or wisdom that we may have, they're also pretty creative and adaptable. So uh, while they're sitting in their rooms, you know, my, my youngest daughter is 15 now. And she's, she told me um, and my wife, she's like, oh, I've been preparing for this my whole life. This is great. I'll stay in my room, read, draw, write, uh, and, and do all the things she wants to do. We're like, wow, she's right. She has been preparing for this her whole life. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas my oldest daughter is just driving her crazy. She just wants to be outside and do outside things. So, I, 
you know, it's going to vary from person to person, but I think our young people are um, going to come out of this just fine. Yeah, we're talking with Pat Ivey, and like I said at the beginning, two main things we've been talking about. Uh, the the second thing is is obviously since the the killing of George Floyd a few weeks ago, you know the the same issues have come up. And and Pat, uh, I hope I'm not breaking any news to you here, but just so people know, yes, Pat is African American, um, you know, and and so obviously has a perspective on this that that I can't bring. I I just every person I've kind of talked to uh, about for this, the first thing I want to know when you saw either that video or Ahmaud Arbery and I know Brianna Taylor, we'll talk about that a little bit with Louisville. I mean, when you see stories like that as a black man, what's, what's your reaction? What goes through your head? Um, I think a lot of things. I, I think, uh, you know, you kind of wonder, okay, where do I fit in this? Where do, where are we in society? Um, I think about my family. I think about my kids. I think about my friends. I think about, I don't think just about black people. I think about white people too. I, I, you know, I had a conversation with the former teammate, uh, Rhino, Ron James today. And we talk about this stuff all the time. And, and he asked me tough questions. I asked him tough questions and we both come to the conclusion, the whole world should just play football and we'd be in a much better place. Yeah. <laughs> we'd be in a much better place if the whole world played football and uh, just because of the the proximity we had with each other and just learning from each other we can have those conversations um, you know these conversations are not easy um, it's not easy to watch what happened whether what, no matter which side you're on um, no matter what your background is I, I've got family and friends that are um, police officers and um, state troopers and uh, military and and I've also have obviously a lot of family members that are black so um, I, I empathize with both and I try to see uh, not just from one perspective but all perspectives and um, that's just me having been a coach uh, in, in strength and conditioning my job was to build a relationship with every player that was on the team so all 125 um, no matter where they were from, no matter what their background was. And, and um, it didn't matter what my background was. My, my job was to get to know them, love them, train them, teach them, um, help them to be the best people that they could be and be a great teammate. And, I, you know, I think there is a lot that we can learn from sports, um, you know, in, in terms of um, just how do, you, how do you take those diverse backgrounds and use that as your strength. And, um, and, and just uh, treat the other person like you want to be treated. Um, I, think, I think we can go a long way with that. So, you know, I feel for the police officers that uh, they have a tough job right now, but also feel for the, the young black people, even older black people that, that fear for their lives. So it's, it's, um, it's a tough position to be in, but I think it's um, seeing it from different perspectives um, helps me to deal with it. I've, I've heard a, a a lot of black men say since this, hey, man, I, I see this, and, and I think there's a time in my life that could have been me. I mean, you are you played defensive end in the NFL. You are still defensive end in the NFL-sized black man. Have you ever found yourself in a position where, you know, hey, you look back and say, hey, if things had gone differently, like that, that could have – I've been in situations like this. You know, um, yes, absolutely. I've, I've, I've been in a lot of different situations. Um, I've always come out of them 
on the positive side. Um, I, I learned early how to talk to people, how to treat people, how to present myself. And, and a lot of times I was in the wrong. Um, most of the times I was, I've had those interactions with police. I was probably driving too fast or something like that. So, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> so it's, it's, um, you know, but I also have friends that are police officers that I've written with, like, take me on, on your beat, um, and, and take me on the highway. I want to learn what it is that you do. And so I, I know what it feels like to pull someone over while I was sitting in the passenger side of a state state trooper's car and my heart's beating fast as I'm wa watching my friend get out of the driver's seat and walk up to the car. My heart's beating because I can hear the audio. I'm like, wow. Um, it just gives you a different level of, of um, a different perspective, but just as, just like my heart has, you know, is beating fast when I've been pulled over. So it's, it's an intense um, situation for both. Uh, you mentioned Louisville, and that was the first city I really saw where, hey, this – I mean, obviously what happened – George Floyd happened in Minneapolis, but Louisville was the first place I saw where some of the protests and, and things started to get out of uh, – I guess out of hand for a better – lack of a better way to put it. I mean, what were uh, – in, in that town now – now your hometown, I mean, what were those, especially those first few days like and, and how, I, I guess, just being kind of at ground zero of all this? Yeah, it was um, interesting because from the perspective here, it wasn't nowhere near what it was at other places. Um, I thought the, the community here is pretty close. Um, people are still in shock of, about what happened. Um, I think it's brought this community closer together. Honestly, it might sound odd, but um, this community is just a little bit different than any other place I've lived before. And I, I really believe that uh, the people here want, want the best for, for all people involved. So, um, yeah, we, we had people get involved at the university in the protest. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting for me to watch it, um, kind of knowing what history is related to protest. Uh, you know, for me, it's something I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't really want to go anywhere close to that because of some of the experiences I had, I've had. And, um, and then to have uh, two daughters that, that live in the house that are in high school and all, a lot of their friends are active and they're active and they want to uh, make this world a better place. You know, it's kind of, it's an interesting position to be in um, trying to guide and, and, and um, educate, um, uh, you know, work our young people, even my own children. So I can tell you this, Gabe, our young people are so much more educated than we were about what's going on. And I know a lot of things aren't, what they're learning isn't being taught in schools, but they're picking up this information somewhere. And I think we should be paying attention, um, black or white, um, to what our kids are, are learning and, and how they're willing to um, step out and, and to, to speak up to make things better. 
We've seen, I mean, you said some of the, some of the athletic department people were involved in protests there. Uh, I know Trevor Lawrence was, was very involved at, at Clemson at Mizzou. They marched to the courthouse and voted, uh, you know, I saw, I saw pictures of Mark Stoops and his staff wearing Black Lives Matter shirts out at protests in Lexington. Um, I, just, I guess, why is, what's changed so much uh, in, in five years since, look, every, everybody knows November of 2015, you and I were both right here uh, in Columbia, Missouri, when it was one team then. Uh, and now it's it's kind of a nationwide thing. What's changed so much that this is now something that's not just okay, but I think almost encouraged and like, yes, everybody needs to go do this. I I am a little bit surprised at, at what's happening nationally based on where we were five years ago. And um, the backlash, right? The backlash that, that – um, that that moment created uh, for a lot of people. And um, it upset a lot of people, frustrated a lot of people, angered a lot of people. Um, but to see now where things are nationally um, is surprising to me because my generation, our generation, Gabe, um, we, we um, chose to not deal with or address any of these issues. We chose to just try to get along and figure it out and, and avoid the topic. And, and um, I look at the young people now and, and, and with a little bit of, um, I guess, uh, you know, guilt, knowing that basically most of my life, I tried to avoid this issue and these topics and, and most of my friends as well. And most of us as teammates, um, we just chose to, hey, let's just, we're one team. Let's just focus on that. Let's just focus on winning games. Let's just focus on getting the job done, whatever. And and now our young people are at a point where I don't, they, they can no longer um, avoid this issue. It's right there in their face. Um, it's on their laptops. It's on their phones. It's on their tablets. It's, it's in everything that they do. Um, so, they they don't have a um, a guideline that was passed to them on how to deal with this. They they can't come to the older generations, black or white, and say, "Hey, how do we handle this? How do we deal with this?" That we left them no no blueprint. And um, you know, I commend them for educating themselves and trying to work together and understand each other and, and get and make some progress. You see kids, I mean, Marvin Wilson's the best defensive player on one of the most recognizable teams in college football. Chuba Hubbard, legit Heisman candidate. These guys are, are speaking out. I mean, you know, you're talking about maybe regret not speaking out when you were a player. When you see that, I, I've got to assume there's some, I, I don't know if pride's the right word, but you know, these, these kids are, are figuring out the platform they have. I think of a wide range of emotions go through me. There's, there's fear, there's, uh, there's um, pride, there is, um, you know, there's part of me wanting to understand what they're uh, experiencing and then uh, wanting to help and, and do my part to, to make our world a better place. Um, 
you know, I'm, I, it's been somehow I'm, I'm the, um, people come to me and want, want to talk about this stuff. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I I try to do my part and and help us have healthy conversations. um, Ones where we both can come away with a better understanding of, of of each other's experiences. Kind of last one on this topic. I will, and I will, give you the out to, to, to dodge the question if you want to. But my thought on this is, and we saw a little bit of it when Chuba Hubbard came out and said what he said, hey, I'm not doing any more activities. And there was more blowback to that than there was to, hey, Missouri's marching to the courthouse. Um, what happened here in 2015 happened in November and games were threatened. And this is June and there are no games to threaten. I'm curious what happens the first time a team or a player says, I'm not playing this weekend and here's why, how much that changes the reception. Yeah, I get past my own PTSD on that. But yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I, – I, I don't know. I hope we can help our young people to feel like they're being listened to so that they don't have to feel they need to go to a certain – uh, take certain steps or, or go to certain extremes. That's, that's my hope that, that we can uh, facilitate some conversations that, that makes progress possible. Um, Cause it's, it's uh, we know what happens when you, when, when, when players threaten not to play, we, we know what happens. Um, and there's there's fallout and there's a lot of collateral damage and and um someone has to take the fall someone has to take the blame and whether whether uh people were complicit or not it it doesn't matter um sometimes in these situations so um i've learned a lot over the last uh five years i've gotten you know a lot lot you know, um, more emotionally resilient because, yeah. you know, it, it's, um, so I can have these conversations, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, and help people out and, and help us to move forward. It's, um, it's, it is not an easy subject to talk about. It, it, it just isn't. Um, and I, but I, I hope we're past the point of people being upset that we're having the conversation. Like if, if we're, if we made progress to not be upset that we're actually having the conversation, I think we've made progress. And I think that's all we can ask for is to continue to make progress um, towards a more civil society. Uh, finishing up with a couple that hopefully are a little bit, this has been a heavy conversation, but a little bit lighter. Um, you know, all your time at Mizzou, I think I know the answer to this. Uh, after now having some distance, I mean, you st- you know a lot of people here. You still kind of follow it and look back on your time in Columbia fondly? Oh, I, absolutely. Um, you know, my wife is from Hannibal, Missouri. My daughters were raised there, um, you know, playing ball there and going to grad school. I've got a lot of family and friends there still, um, family on my wife's part. And, yeah, it, it's I definitely – Definitely uh, follow for yeah. for sure. Um, it's you know it's 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 the same. You know, once a tiger, always a tiger. So 
I'll always be a Tiger. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to uh, whenever one day returning and um, just going back and enjoying some, watching some games and uh, yep. with some of my former teammates. Guy, a guy you spent a lot of time with over those years. Uh, Gary Pinkle just got – he's on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot yesterday. Uh, you know, do you, do you see that? And uh, and what do you think about Coach Pinkle as a Hall of Famer? You know, and I I really apologize for not – We I think we should have talked about Coach Pinkle much earlier in this show than now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me know what I can do to help him get into the Hall of Fame because Coach Pinkle in, – there's been some really good articles written on on Coach Pinkle. I think Dave Matter did a piece a few few weeks ago that was really awesome. Um, it, it's it's going to be hard to understand the impact that he really had on a lot of people, but the future will tell that story. Um, he just he was just an awesome person, man of in, integrity and and um, you know, accountability and, and hard work and discipline, determination, all the things you hear the players say, that is what we as a staff exemplify on a daily basis. So the players didn't have to look too far to know what to do. They could look at us as a staff and say, that's how you work. That's how you communicate. That's how you handle your business. Uh, and so that's probably what I'm, what I'm most proud of is, is to, and even something I read today on DeQuincy Howard, um, being a police officer and just knowing how far that young man has come, uh, is just, it fills your heart to know that uh, these young men, when we met them when they were 15, 16, recruiting them and watching them develop, and now they're family people, family men, it's, it's uh, you know, it just fills your heart. Yeah. Well, Pat, I, I appreciate the time, man. I know, uh, as you said, you're getting a, a lot of people saying, hey, Pat knows a lot about what's going on right now. So appreciate you spending some time. Also want to give you a chance real quick. Uh, you've got a podcast. The people that listen to this, where do they find the podcast that, that you do and, and kind of just give them a quick uh, sketch of what it is? Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. So really on my website is pativy.com. You can find – I've just wrote a book this year. It's called The Table. And it's, it's for written for athletes and students to make sure they're taking advantage of all the opportunities they have um, while they're in high school and then in college. Um, so you can you can find that on my website. My podcast, I've got actually two is Beyond Sets and Reps. And then it's uh, we just started a research to reps roundtable with um, Javar Gillette, who's the head strength coach of the Houston Rockets and uh, Ted Lambernitas, who is the sports science consultant for the NFL. So I think people will find it pretty exciting um, to, to check out those resources. And uh, I for sure hope that every um, student athlete, high school or college picks up the book and just learn from an old coach, an old player, um, and just pass some lessons on. See, you got a podcast, you wrote a book. This media stuff's pretty easy, isn't it? It's not too bad. I can do your job, I think. Yeah, there you go. All right, man. Well, hey, I, I just hope I have some games to write about in a few weeks. So. All right. Uh, all right. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it, Pat. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good day. All right. You too.